Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club comes a new podcast in fantasy terror. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science Science and superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the fifth dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound. And once again, we're here with another misadventure in Jordan Peele's revival of The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. Today, we're talking about not all men written by heather ann campbell we recognize that name Mm -hmm. from last week and directed by Kristen cho but before we all take meteor shots and rage out let's introduce our round of co-hosts with me in the zone starting with hey folks this is matt mellis the editorial director of consequence of sound and i just want to take a moment to wish a happy mother's day coming up to the two mothers out there who are listening You're slacking, mothers, but we love you anyway. Happy Mother's Day. Aw, that's very sweet. (laughs) This is Samantha hasn't brushed her hair in five days, Kuykendall. Oh, that's (laughs) true. I have felt better before. I'm a social media specialist for Consequence Podcast Network, um, and I am running on a little bit of no sleep today. You need some meteor juice. Yeah, I do. I need a heavy (laughs) dosage of meteor juice Zero G Gatorade and a Choco Taco. Uh, Yes. Neither of which you... (laughs) You were guilted in the I really wanted, yeah. No, you didn't really want it. But for clarification, uh, Sammy prior to this was uh, looking to have a meal, but uh, we did not get the meal. But she got a snack, and the snack was said Choco Taco, which uh, you weren't really uh, keen on. No, they didn't have anything at the gas station I stopped at. There was nothing but Skittles and Choco Tacos, and I thought, I guess I'll just grab a Choco Taco. It's because we talked about Choco Taco over the weekend. Yeah. And I think this is the part where, because we're talking about eating Choco Tacos for dinner, we say, if you like our show, please. (laughs) Please, rate and review us. Please, rate and review us. Please, uh, send a little (laughs) donation. Anything will help. Well, I don't really typically like a Choco Taco up here in Chicago where it's cold, but I do like a Choco Taco down in Florida. Where it's warm. And speaking of Florida. Oh my God, it's me, Eleanor. Hi, Eleanor. (laughs) Hi. I've been right here on Earth the whole time. Oh my God, that's crazy. And you know, I got to say, you live near, as we've established in many episodes already, uh, the NASA headquarters. True. 
And speaking of being up all night, I saw an amazing launch uh, a couple days ago at 3 a.m. It was incredible. Ooh, tell us about the launch a little bit. Oh, man. Well, now SpaceX is doing this whole thing where the different stages separate and they glow as they're separating. It looks like plasma dancing. It's beautiful. And then as the uh, boosters land, you can hear the burn from my house, which is incredible. But can you feel the burn? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) No. This wasn't Space Force, was it? Which is good. Um, Well, you know. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it would be. As I mentioned before, uh, I believe last week, I'd, I would hop on a spaceship ASAP. Elon Musk and I don't agree on everything, but I think we both agree that Space Force is a fucking terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty bad. Yeah. It'd be pretty bad. I think it's actually going to be parodied soon by Netflix uh, <laughs> with Steve Carell. Yeah, that's right. With Greg Daniels. I think The Office, they're doing like some sort of show there. But um, you are desperate not to talk about this episode. I know, I am. I really <laughs> I am. I know we so all we are. should just get on in and just kind of take a, as I mentioned before, take a shot of this mm. meteor juice. And Speaking of a shot, should I mention that I have a Jack Daniels bottle the size of like what Leonard Skinner carries on stage with you him? You really do. This is going to this is gonna get me through. You're, it is going to get you through. But before we get mm. through, you have a task at hand, Matt, and you have it every week. And I got to stress, I need a synopsis. Give me that synopsis. Just anyone or... Give me that synopsis! (laughs) Give me that synopsis! Okay, I'll go with the one for Not All Men this time. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Good choice. (laughs) A meteor shower spreads infection across an entire town, affecting some of the inhabitants more than the others. Maybe the bros, but not so much. The The chads, if you will. The women. The chads? What What are chads? Uh, and like, if, have you ever heard of like incels or, oh, yeah. uh, that's what they call like bros or like chads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was worried I was one of them till I learned more about it than I realized. You are no, not. I am yeah. not one of them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what you are not. What? And I'll tell you what, uh, neither of us are. We're neither stars nor souls. You walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. As we do in every episode of The Fifth Dimension, we're going to talk about who's behind the camera and who's in front of the camera. And this week, behind the camera, we have writer Heather Ann Campbell, who wrote last week's episode, Five Degrees of Freedom. Six Degrees of Freedom. Six Degrees of Freedom. Oh, my God. Don't shortchange it. It was a good episode. (laughs) It was a good episode. Oh, yeah. And following, I mean, to be the the precedent to this one. What the hell happened to Heather in a week's time? I do not know. Well, as we mentioned last week, she actually has an incredible career. Um, Mm, She's an unbelievable resume. I mean, she's born in Chicago. Hey, hometown hero. Uh, She studied improv at the IO Theater, which uh, no longer exists uh, in Wrigleyville, but exists over, I believe, in Old Town. Uh, either way, still here. Uh, she went to uh, Northwestern University because um, she had a four four year stint on the Meow Show. She's worked with the the Groundlings. She's worked with Upright Citizens Brigade. So you get a sense that oh, wow. she knows comedy really well. Um, I mean, she's also written for the Eric Andre Show. Uh, she was a writer oh, for Saturday Night Live. Whose line is it, anyways? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. So show. she 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 knows comedy really well. Which is why I kind of wish that this episode had more of a comedic slant to it, because I think it would have, I think some humor in this episode would have done. I would have appreciated it, it more. Like, have, there was some, but it could have used. Could have used more. Did we all miss the joke? Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I don't think there was a lot, there was supposed to be too much humor in here. And I, and I, and I think that based on the direction uh, by Kristen Cho, who is, is also a very celebrated um, artist. I mean, uh, her first feature film was last year's Nancy, which was 
actually very critically acclaimed. Uh, it was a psychodrama starring Andrea Risebo and John Leguizamo and Dowd, Steve Buscemi. Uh, it had its uh, world premiere at Sundance in the U.S. Dramatic Competition. And uh, uh, Cho was awarded the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award. So she knows her chops. And actually, I think the direction of this episode is That's pretty sharp. That's not what's sharp. wrong with this. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that I think there's some tonal inconsistencies here. You, I you... agree. I think actually, I think there were times where I did laugh a little bit at the script. But if it was meant to be a little bit more, you know, tongue in cheek, more of a comedy, it definitely wasn't directed that way. No. There might have been some crossed wires here a little bit. I think so. On what genre we were going for. I, I really agree. I mean, I think that on the surface, you have what is you know, ostensibly uh, the blob slash invasion of the body snatchers sort of thing going on here. A lot of like kind of 50s pulp horror, uh, which, you know, we've seen done to great effect in modern times. I mean, like you could look at like Jamie Gunn's Slither, which does that really well. And I think that given how ludicrous this like sort of meteorite premise is, it really needed to kind of lean into the the comedy, especially if it's being so ham-fisted. I think you're right. I think you nailed the intention. And you just doing that intro did make me wonder if maybe it was all improvised. <laughs> <laughs> Might be. But no, I think I think you nailed it. And you're right. That's all that was lacking is leaning into that. Maybe not all. <laughs> Do you think that all the subject matter, the dialogue and everything that we have in this episode would work still if you had it as like kind of a farce? That's, I wanted it to be satirical. I wanted it to go that extra step to be almost like a spoof or because it's so obviously a commentary on men in our society right now. Of course. Um, and if you're going to do something like that, I wish it was more like the Wonderkin where it was a mm -hmm. little bit more whimsical, I guess, for lack of a better word, and just go that extra mile to make it kind of stand out. Instead, it was just dumbed down, I felt, a lot. Well, it's very strange, too, because well, as we move ahead of the camera or in front of the camera, this is a very weird cast. We have Thaisa Farmiga, who's playing the lead, Annie Miller. We have uh, Ray Seahorn, who plays Martha, her sister. We have Luke Kirby, who plays Dylan. The, the dickhead. The douche. Uh, yeah. the, the douche. The douche. Yeah. The chat. The douche. <laughs> and then we have Ike Barinholtz as Mike, who's husband. Martha's husband. Yeah. So... What's really strange about this is that you have three primarily dramatic actors that are involved in this. So I feel like this is always going to be intended to be some sort of dramatic performance or, you know, ensemble. But you have a lot of potential to be funny because, I mean, you have Ike Barinholtz, who's one of the best physical comedians out there. I love him. I was waiting for him to be funny, to yeah. have that moment. And... And it's not to say that a comedian can't have, you know, those dramatic chops or bring something else to the table, but he didn't really do either for me here, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And I just kept waiting for that line to make me laugh because he's so great in Neighbors. I mean, I grew up watching Mad TV, so that's the first thing I ever saw him in. And I love him in Neighbors. You said he's really funny in Blockers as mm -hmm. well, uh, mm -hmm. which I haven't seen so I was like, when I saw him on the casting list, I was stoked. Well, it's also strange, too, because like Campbell, who wrote it, like she appeared on Mad TV also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you'd think that there would be some sort of like, this could have been like a home run in terms of yeah. just like, you know, leaning on Ike Barinholtz to kind of lean the way for some sort of well, comedy. Played, yeah. Who played husband Mike again? Was that? That's, That's Ike, Ike Barinholtz. Barinholtz. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of the scene again where 
he's you know he's not to get too much into you know what's going on here already but he uh just beats the hell out of a guy he yeah. comes in he's all proud of himself he's like oh it's uh Rhea Seahorn who plays Martha it's her birthday oh we forgot to yeah. sing happy birthday and you know blow he's making her blow out the candles <laughs> he's like he's singing happy birthday and he's like you know hooray and you know just I didn't know wait am I supposed to laugh at this or am exactly. I supposed to be terrified it was in this weird like nether yeah area well that, then that's the problem is that it this whole episode is just it has a ham-fisted metaphor because sure. it's as it tackle, tackles uh toxic masculinity yeah. and then it also deals with just multiple horror tropes that have been used to they've just been beaten to death over the years and like that's the problem when you go the serious route because when you go the serious route you can't use that as a sort of like well haha no actually we were kind of you know poking fun at this instead there's just this sort of self-serious tone of this that just is there right from the get-go. It's hard to make domestic violence funny, but yeah, I wish they had tried harder. Yeah, because I mean, there's they've definitely done it in the past for sure. I mean, like John Waters did really well with like Serial Mom in that sense of just showing the sort of domestic uh, disturbance. Uh, hashtag uh, John Travolta, because he's in that movie, I believe. Also like Mom and Dad with Nicolas Cage and yeah. Selma Blair. Um, it's on Hulu. It's great. And I feel like it was pretty underrated when it came out. But it has familial violence in it. Oh, I agree. But in a comedic yeah. horror tone that works, that just really fell flat here. Well, I mean, domestic violence isn't funny. And one thing like George Carlin always used to say was, you can make anything funny, but you have to really, really, really go out there to left yeah. field to do it. So, And I think that's what this is doing. It's basically in 40 minutes, it's packing everything you know, men do that's incredibly creepy to women. It's so over the top. It's so packed in there that you could almost get to some place where like this is... It's so ridiculous at this point that yeah. there could be some humor in there. But it whether doesn't. it's the performances or the tone or the directing, it we, we never, if we're supposed to laugh, we don't know it. For me, that would be like when I saw American Psycho for the first time and I just thought, oh, my God, this movie's horrible. And then it gets to the part where the ATM is saying, feed me a kitten. And yeah. I was like, oh, I get it. It's a comedy. And after that, it was great. And I loved it. And we never got to the feed me a kitten point. No, we that never is, really did. And there's been... a great term we have to use in the future, the feed me a kitten point. <laughs> Fe- yeah. For an episode that, you know, presents itself in one way and then turns It's like jumping the shark. I like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that too. I the, there but there the thing is that you had multiple options. I mean, they literally, I mean, let's go over just the story just a little bit. Annie Miller, Thaisa Farmiga, she's at work, you know. She's I do we know what she she does? She's a developer. She she's looks a gu- like she's working at some sort of laboratory where mm-hmm. they test different products. Mm-hmm. They're doing what? They're doing a lip balm. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded like yeah. from what I took from the episode is the family friend that's at the dinner with mm-hmm. them got her the job. Yeah. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, who's you know, who's an, another man and she she draws upon the interest of Dylan. Um, and not not my favorite Dylan from uh, 90210 Beverly Hills, uh, the late Luke Perry, but no, the Luke Kirby. Ooh, that's interesting. Luke Kirby, <laughs> Dylan? Who does from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yes. where he does play a sexy, sad dad-like character. I think he plays Lenny Bruce on uh, Marvelous Ooh, Mrs. Maisel, indeed. too. That's yeah. he's great. Yeah. First season, at least. Yeah. And, he's, and he was also great on Rectify. And uh, this is um, a Haddonfield connection. He was also in Halloween Resurrection, uh, the worst film of the franchise. Uh, but I'm a Only huge... you would know that. I would know that. But um, I know that, you know who else is in that? Uh, Katie Sackhoff, who is in Battlestar Galactica. And you know who else is in that? Uh, Tyra Banks, who's, you know, I could go through the whole cast of Halloween Resurrection. Thomas E. Nicholas, uh, Chicago Connection. I am such a connection. lucky gal. I really 
really am. Yeah, you're really lucky. <laughs> how do you, I, how, how do you go home to this? Uh, the magic of going home to this every it's night. It's wonderful. <laughs> here's where in the beginning I was all in because a I love Luke. I love I love Luke Kirby. I think he's a great mm. actor and he's a hunk. I think he's he's a sexy man. Um, and you have uh, Taisa Farmiga, who was uh, arguably probably the the better part of uh, the god awful nun last year, and she, but she's really really good in the Valley of Violence, which is a Ty West movie from I think 2015 2016. But she, she, she's she's really great. And so I the mean, talent let's is not here. forget American Horror Story either. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially let's where not. we all saw her for the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, either way, we got some potential quote unquote star crossed lovers here, but not really. Uh, and, I think it's, and I think it's great because at first, if you look at the tone, he plays a real sort of, I think it's a pretty um, subtle, mm-hmm. you know, sort of creep. Yeah, He's yeah. a guy who's just kind of like, oh, you know, hey, you can tell if the boss, hey, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this for you, hon. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of subtle. It looks like I'm just trying to help you out, be mm-hmm. nice to you. But then, of course, when she says, well, I can't say no to a boss... You know, he's kind of her superior. Then he goes in for the, you know, pressuring her yeah. into things. And <laughs> Luke's character in this is the prime example of what a man can do that's handsome, like, and get away with. Mm-hmm. Yep. That someone that's maybe not as handsome can't. Like, I mean, he's good looking. So she automatically, even though she does pick up on some of the creepy vibes, is like, okay, I'll go to dinner with him. If he was like super unattractive mm-hmm. it would have been a totally different dialogue but it's also them. but it's also that very subtle she's realizing okay i can't really say no to this guy no. either you know if i want a career here possibly so it's almost a thing you could get away with and no one say oh he's just being friendly or he just likes her legitimately but it's definitely manipulation going on is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. no and i totally agree with you my point is just that mm-hmm. people who are good looking typically get away with things that never, other people don't never had that problem on the side of the fifth dimension over here <laughs> do you concur eleanor definitely he can get away with a lot up until he gets violent now let's talk about up until he gets violent <laughs> at this point they have a nice little rendezvous to his unbelievable apartment house. it's beautiful just gorgeous by the way <laughs> looks like something from like laurel cannon deck all year right? i would hey, we have I christmas would. lights and in honestly, our apartment right now <laughs> we, have, we have christmas lights in the studio and i would plug them in if i could find where the plug is right now but i can't or if Either we way. paid the electric bill Go so ahead. things are going great you got lionel richie on when do you think the last time someone like had a make out to Hello by Lionel Richie. Uh, about five months ago when we made out to uh, we Lionel Richie. People who don't have good looks, Sam, you have to, pay, have to use other strategies. I guess so. I don't know why he had to, but I've definitely <laughs> done okay with Lionel Richie. I'm pretty sure that Lionel Richie makes out to that song, at least nightly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he does. So they're at the house. Things are getting a little weird and creepy, but then things get really creepy because, again, they're there to watch the meteor shower. So obviously us being in the twilight zone, we're like, oh, duh, something's going to happen. So the meteors start coming through the atmosphere and making contact, turning into meteorites as they land. And he says, can you imagine 10 minutes ago this was in outer space? But he doesn't he doesn't realize we're in outer space. What a line. We sure it's something cosmic, almost magical. Hmm. Oh. What do these meteors do, though? <laughs> yeah, well, it's debatable, but as far as we can tell, they make him feel like super testosterone empowered, and uh, he gets all aggressive at her, like, "Oh my god, I got to make out right now, and I'm gonna manhandle you while I do." Yeah, this is when kind of the episode takes a a, a wild shift. I would say a very wild shift. And I don't think it earns the wild shift as much as it thinks it does. Because again, this is when the tonal inconsistencies just scream. And it happens really fast. Um, Like, I think it takes maybe 
a minute or two or three yeah. before he starts exhibiting signs of the change, obviously, that's happening mm. within his body. Is that change menopause? It is menopause. <laughs> it is definitely menopause. But like the creepiest line, the, the moment that you know that something is wrong is when he's like, I'll finish you first or I'll get you over with first. He's like, so that's it? He's like, I want you. Like, as a woman, that would be like, oh, you'll get me off first? Oh, cool. Then everything's fine then. And what was the line directly after that? Oh, wait, oh, wait. You thought I was trying to fuck you just Exactly. (laughs) After he said, I'll do you first. When I implied that. (laughs) CBS using all that, uh, you know, profanity that they can, you know, loving it. (laughs) Basically, from here, we kind of see that the whole town is messed up. This is basically... 10 seasons of Smallville encapsulated within 40 minutes where the meteors just immediately automatically change. And for me, what really frustrated me the most watching this episode is that there just seemed to be no logical connective tissue to what was going on. Like we, we see throughout this episode that the meteors affected everyone, but in ways that are so like perverse, like people are like shotgunning and doing shot, like shots with them, doing shots and with also, meteors. They're, they're touching them. They're holding them. It's very strange, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of logical context that's given for it. It just assumed, and it just seems rushed to me. I don't know. The meteorite maces were a bit much. Right? <laughs> it just was all of a sudden, like, it, it felt like this happened maybe a night ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. tops. It was like the new pet rock. And the next yeah, day, right? yeah, the <laughs> next day, they're, you know, taking shots of it, mm. and it's become this huge thing. But, like, what what was it that made people... Like, I don't usually pick rocks off the ground and think, like, mm. I want to drink this or rub it on myself no. or, you know. Yeah. So what was the underlying, you know, uh, decision? Like, what made people do this? That's because you're a woman and if you were a man, you'd understand. Maybe one of the guys can explain it to you. I guess so. <laughs> you would be out in the woods naked beating drums and rubbing rocks on yourself from outer space. <laughs> we also see a rock go right into a water tower, yeah. which I God believe affects the water system in mm-hmm. town. Um, but again, like Eleanor says, like, what the hell's going on here? Because why does this make them feel that way? Well, we find out at the end, spoiler alert, that it's all a placebo. Anything will make a man feel this way. If he, any excuse he gets. It gives them the, the waters. The water's red. I found a rock from outer space. But, but the thing is, is that we <laughs> never see that anyone has some sort of like, the, you know, the, the self-awareness of the rock. Mm-hmm. for that placebo argument to actually even really work. Well, because and Cole, like, the nephew, or it's Annie's um, nephew, Martha's son, mm-hmm. is the only male we see fight off the effects. So yeah. he, they that's when we realize, okay, these men have the choice to fight it off. But it just, <laughs> it happens so fast, and he's the only one that it just... It didn't seem realistic to me that he'd be the only male to be like, oh, I can fight this off, you know, um, but I'm instead I'm going to choose to be like ultra, ultra violent. Well, it just seems as if there's a lot of, you know, greater. This has been in the, the biggest problem of this, this series so far, mm-hmm. the revival, is that there seems to be these sort of big blanket statements with a lot of little micro statements, you know, laced yeah. in. And Replay had that problem also. And this one certainly does, because I feel like each character is supposed to suggest some sort of different theme underneath the, the, the umbrella of bigger themes and stuff. And like, like, for example, like I think Martha Rea Seahorn is supposed to almost represent this like bought in mentality. Like she bought into society's, you oh, know, for sure. like conformity and whatnot, which is why she's kind of like, 
insistent on this like system. Um, you know, she's got the marriage, she's got the kids. She's kind of oblivious to her sister's yeah, I think needs. Of some of her quotes too, you're exactly right because she says, oh, what's going on over there? Those are just assholes being assholes, right? That's locker room talk, right? Everyone in there just had too much to drink. That's why they were behaving, yeah. right? Or someone, uh, uh, I think it's what, it's Annie says, not everything's about sex, Martha. And she goes, oh, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's almost like she's already, she's like almost like she's been it's affecting like her. body snatched in a way. Yeah, like we have she's all those duped. excuses, but then we do have the one scene where she reveals that she knows where those lines are. You know what I mean? She's kind of playing it like, well, boys will be boys. But then mm. she reveals that she's had many dates that were also bad like Annie. But some dates that were really, really bad. So she knows where that line is really. It's almost like this is kind of... It's almost like it's a, a coping mechanism or a defense mechanism, isn't it? I Rather think than it's more of, a, of this is? a generational gap between the uh -huh. two of them. I think a lot of women Martha's age have come to accept this as this is how men are. We go on dates. Some of them are good and some of them are really bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in my own experience, I've talked to older women that definitely give you the boys will be boys mentality. Oh, sure. Whereas women, you know, in their 20s, even early 30s, definitely have a mindset of no, boys will not be mm -hmm. boys. Like it doesn't, yeah. just because you're a male doesn't give you the right to act this it's way. I completely agree with you, Sammy. That was what I was thinking this whole time. And I actually kind of wish they leaned into that more. Yeah. Because I didn't get it right away i mean she is doing what i hear done at, at my work all the time where it's older women reinforcing terrible gender stereotypes that that just make life suck a lot more but her things that she said were more subtle than things that the guys were saying which were so like misogynist bingo you know yeah mm -hmm. it really was and i and i, and I kind of wish that if this episode would have chosen to be look if you were gonna go this dramatic route and be visceral and be very tense and, and thrilling, uh, which clearly this episode doubles, triples, quadruples down on, <laughs> that I would have, yeah, I would have actually liked to have seen that relationship a little bit more and less of the more explosive tendencies and actually had more of like a sedative surroundings that are happening with like the men, mm -hmm. you know, may, maybe not be so over the top and, and, and crazy. And because it really do, it did like distract and take away from that sort of relationship that you had there. What's the first time I think since watching this series that a slow burn would have benefited yeah. yep. the episode. Mm. Whereas like with an, with a traveler, I felt like that was too slow of a burn. And I think it's the shortest episode that we've watched so far. I think it only clocks in at like 41 or 42 yeah. minutes. So it does feel very rushed and everything happens really, really fast. So it doesn't give you enough time to really care or, understand how we got to these certain scenarios like even as far as i mean this goes back to the directing a little bit but even like cut scenes a yeah. little bit there is a scene where they're all eating dinner and then they go out at martha's house yeah and, at yeah. martha's house for her birthday and they go out because they hear their neighbor like fucking with the um the lawnmower, lawnmower. Yeah. and martha's like okay it sounds like you guys got this handled cut to them in the bar yeah. and it, like it didn't really make a lot of sense uh visually because it was like okay how did we get from here to here so fast like is this the same night exactly like, um, yeah like time felt wonky a little bit and i think it's because it was such a short episode and they tried to fit so much into it it's like shoving laundry into a bag that is already overflowing which i know more than i need to know about that mm. <laughs> i genuinely wondered if we were missing a layer like if they took a subplot out because it Felt like it was missing one. Yeah, and, and and it felt as if a lot of them were just kind of like shoehorned in at the end. Like even mm -hmm. Cole's relationship, he's in a queer couple and it seems as if the rules change 
for him in a way. Like I, I, I felt like that kind of made a weird mixed metaphor as well. It just felt like to me everyone had to do so much heavy lifting to fit this in. Okay, so we see Perry at the bar, right? Someone else who Annie works with. And, you know, he just says hi to her and she doesn't give him much attention. So all of a sudden she's a bitch. You think you're too good? You know, okay, so that's one thing men could do, right? Mm -hmm. Then we also have to have Perry following them out back to their house. Everyone is doing so much. I mean, even Annie has to fit in these things, you know. Oh, I have to be a team player, you know. I can't say no to people. Um, You know, which, I mean, I'm not saying that's not a serious thing that women feel when they join a company. But she has to put out all those ideas um, when she says, well, maybe Dylan didn't attack me so much. I gave off a confusing vibe. So, again, like every character has to be used three or four or five times to get across Again, I think it's like a 40 minutes. Of points. It's like 40 minutes of everything men do that's really creepy on a yeah. regular basis. And, and, and they, I mean, they try to like try to touch upon every facet mm-hmm. of it. I mean, like even the point where they're at the dinner table and uh, one of Martha's friends, you know, one of her managers is like, oh, hey, you follow Dylan. You're going to move up in this company. Exactly. And all. Follow and the just, man, right? It You're just mansplaining. Seemed, yeah. It's all there. Yeah. Well, and that's my problem with a lot of the, the dialogue that's been happening in this revival is that it seems as if like every piece of dialogue has to like is in service to the theme. And that gets so f- ham fisted sometimes. And especially in this episode. Well, and then that's not to say that these types of things don't happen because myself, I have encountered absolutely every single thing that was, you know, presented in this episode. I have been mansplained. I have mm-hmm. like been talked to like this. I've had men at work talk to me in a way that they wouldn't talk to someone else at work. Mm-hmm. But it was like, pick one, you know, exactly. like, let's not do exactly. all 15 of the terrible things that we know are creepy, because it would almost make it scarier if they were all doing like, one thing as opposed to like, here's everything that a man has ever done mm-hmm. to make you scared. And so it takes away credence from the ones that are actually scary, because there's just so many things going on. Whereas if we exactly. were just focusing on them being violent, mm-hmm. okay, that's one thing. If we were just focusing on them being creepy, that's one thing. Um, or, you know, being disrespectful, but or rapey, you know, yeah. it was just yeah. it was so many different ones that none of them felt valid or that they mattered because it was just it was so many going on by trying to do all of that you do a disservice to what you could have picked out a couple of things and really done a great show on that topic and to michael's point about it's still it's being so ham-fisted on top of that where you get lines like christ guys could be assholes i I, I wish we had a way to know which ones are assholes you know Uh, there there are some there are some very just I mean, like just... head twisting like lines here like stuff that reminded me of <laughs> there's a great scene at the ending of uh, the 1997 classic volcano uh, in which uh, all the the people in LA are covered in dust and for some reason no reason there's been no an allusion to this whatsoever in the entire movie <laughs> they have a, a, a race metaphor where one of the kids looks around and goes Wow, they all look the same. And it's just, they just cut away. They don't earn that that sort of lesson <laughs> whatsoever. They just mm-hmm. go and cut away. And it's the most forced dialogue there. And I saw that so much in this episode. Hey, there's still some good men out there, Michael. Yeah, well, I'm The most <laughs> prime example of what you were just saying, Michael, is the essential, like, wink to the audience in that last scene where oh, the yeah. army guy says, maybe you should smile more. You'd look a lot prettier if you smiled more. Which, like... We hear you. You hear a lot as be, as like a like men say this. It's you like know, a meme. Type of, it is a meme too. at yeah. this point. But I will say, in my twenty five years of life, I have had a lot of men say weird, creepy shit to me. 
but I have never had one say you'd look a lot prettier if you smiled more. Oh, I get that one all the time. Do you, Eleanor? That's the one I get more than any of the other ones, I think because I'm over 30 and therefore invisible. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, I get that one all the time. But even still, I wish they had written that line to be a little bit more natural. Like if he had said, oh, you didn't smile for your picture or something like that. Exactly. Not yeah. so cheesy, you know. Uh, like, what what does because uh, she says maybe uh, there is no cure. <laughs> yeah, but she Which but, so but she ridiculous. goes ahead and you know she, he says you need to smile more and she just goes no I won't and you're led to believe that you know Annie at the beginning of the episode would have said you know she probably would have gone along to say yeah thanks you know yeah and now that's that's like the big change that we're supposed to see Annie's found that courage to no longer be like maybe I was giving confusing vibes she'd be the woman who would say no Dylan attacked me and he was wrong well Well, because as women like we typically find it to be safer to just go along with it and go haha yeah you know or surviving it's it's survival I mean and I've been in situations like that where I have instead of going why the fuck did you just say that (laughs) like I wanted to I, I think almost and maybe this is more for the lesson, but I think we could fit it in here because we are talking about aesthetics and all is that one of the things I think that the show is doing that maybe the previous Twilight Zone didn't do. And maybe that's kind of the impetus of this new revival is showing point of view, because one of the things that we could, mm-hmm. you know, that we could argue for with with replay is that this the, the, that episode definitely showed you a certain point of view. And I think this episode does that as well. Whether or not it succeeds in terms of a narrative or, you know, uh, an actual Twilight Zone, obviously is debatable. But I think that the tension that they they show and the the sort of multifaceted horror that it is being a woman in, in, in modern America and dealing with the sort of toxic masculinity, I think they it does show that in this episode. But again, I think it's at the stake of literally everything else <laughs> yeah i mean it's definitely a case where you can say i mean we, we recognize most of what we saw as poor male behavior yeah we probably also saw a couple things maybe we hadn't quite thought of if we look a little deeper most of it was very surface level but there was a couple moments but there's also i mean probably a lot of people watching this if they're honest with themselves say oh i've kind of done that before you know what i mean or something similar to that so i agree with you michael very much like um replay if nothing else and maybe at the expense of everything else it's one of those episodes that maybe shows you know if men are watching they're maybe seeing something they don't see every day because i I know when i first heard female friends of mine say you know i get that smile line or i get a weird like sort of pat on the shoulder or um someone you know deaf i get followed you know down the street and things like that I had never experienced that, you know, mm-hmm. and I had never seen that really occurring, but I've been told like this happens all the time. So I do think there is a little bit of value in that for sure. Well, since you bring up what this season is trying to do versus what prior episodes have tried to do, that's a pretty good segue into light and shadow. We know that a dream can be real, but whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. And then ask yourself, do you live here, in this country, in this world, or do you live instead in the Twilight Zone? Obviously, we've seen this before. The most prime example is The Crazies. I definitely oh, like yeah. got like I love the remake of the crazies. I've actually never seen the original, but I know that they are similar in tone and like synopsis. It's a movie where the people, the townspeople get infected through the water stream and they get super violent. And now I know why that note in the beginning makes sense. 
because in the very in the very beginning right next to a copy of our war you could see there's a thing that says call dr romero 1015 now 1015 is the number that's been in every episode, every episode. of yeah. the season but dr romero is a reference to george a romero who directed the original crazies so that's pretty cool. i'm clapping oh. for you that's pretty cool yeah, i like that i like we, that a lot actually when we saw that last night i was like romero i feel like that matters somehow and i like googled it and i couldn't find anything yeah. with the twilight zone and romero i, I that has to be a, i didn't even think about the crazies because that no, is so is, true it's the crazies like yeah. this like today i was stewing on it because this is my favorite um category just because i have watched so much pop culture it's pretty easy for me to come up with things that i feel like relate to what we just watched um, and I was like, you know what? This reminds me of the crazies. Like the, I mean, down to the spreading via the water because one of the meteorites lands in the water tower in the episode and they become ultra violent. It's not that they're zombies. It's not yeah. that they're, you know, they're just infected and it like gets, it does something to their DNA and that it just makes them like yeah. super angry. And just for the meteor alone, um, it reminded me of Stephen King's segment and Creep Show with Jordy oh, Farrell, yeah. uh, meteor shit, and just like that, it spread like that. Obviously, like it's not very violent or anything like that, and doesn't affect the people that way. So no, but there's that sort of you know um, innocent old tiny parable nature something to the, from the space lands yeah. and it affects us in a negative way well you mentioned the crazies but i mentioned the happening uh which is m night Shyamalan's masterpiece uh, real big uh, <laughs> tw uh twist to the the bad very b movie c movie d movie level shit there um mark Wahlberg, zoe deschanel they're basically running away from people who just randomly kill themselves yeah and i felt that the sort of frivolity of people going nuts in this and having no sort of rules or checks and balances reminded me so much of that movie well in the lawnmower scene because i wrote the happening too not two isn't because there's not a sequel that would be awful but as <laughs> it also <laughs> and i think it was because the lawnmower scene like the um um, neighbor obviously has blood all over him. It looks like he just killed someone with a lawnmower. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene in The Happening, actually, where uh, someone kills themselves by just laying in front of a lawnmower and letting it, like, run over them. Oof, bad way to go. Not a good way. <laughs> yeah. um, but that definitely reminded me of that scene in particular. Eleanor, what about you? You usually are able to mine from the old Twilight Zone. Did you find any uh, illusions there? You know, I had a lot of trouble, actually, which is interesting because, I mean, kudos to this episode for being the most original so far <laughs> in some ways, at least for The Twilight Zone. And for me, the free-for-all made me think of Kingsman, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, uh, yeah. Kingsman, like the Secret Service movie? Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I could do a podcast on that one. I love that movie. But it is, it's full of misogyny, so that's unfortunate, but was also written by a woman, in part. <laughs> but anyway, as far as Twilight Zone goes, I was looking for references or, you know, connections, and I didn't find a lot of them, but I was looking at female characters and female roles and whether or not there was, I mean, of course there was toxic masculinity because the show came out in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of inherent no matter what, but really... It's very hard to find. And when you do find it, one example is the episode called 22, which is a lot like Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, where the main character is the stripper having premonitions of her own death. And she's um, being treated like this is crazy talk and she's having a breakdown. And she's in the hospital this whole time for this mental breakdown. And then when she's released from the hospital, the doctor, who's supposed to be her ally, says, well, next time I see you, it'll be in a ringside seat. <laughs> 
And um, you get this shudder because you're like, oh, you're supposed to be the ally. You're supposed to be the person who believes me when I'm telling you this very serious thing. And then I'm looking to you for help as another human. And you're still just treating me like your entertainment. So that sucks. <laughs> That's a great episode. Yeah. That's season two also. Season two, episode 17. And then I watched The Midnight Sun the other night, which is an episode about two women surviving as long as they can in an Earth that's been moved out of orbit. So it's heading towards the sun and it's getting hotter and hotter. God, yeah. Eventually in this episode, this man shows up and he's like, hey, baby, come out and be friendly. <laughs> But you know that he's supposed to be bad news and you know that, you know, these women are just trying to get along in life. <laughs> and in the end, they get away with it. Like they they best him in a way. But it's by making him question his actions. He realizes, oh, I'm not a dick. <laughs> I should stop <laughs> acting like this. I've I've gone too far. And he gets ashamed of himself and leaves, Aww. which I think is interesting because that didn't happen this time. Yeah. But pretty much when you see people going this crazy, it's usually over resources and not over the need for power over another gender or group. Or any ego, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah. It also, because it was Thaisa Formigia. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Thaisa. Formigia. Yeah. <laughs> It did call back to the first season of American Horror Story where she and Connie Britton, who plays her mom, they fight off home invaders. And it's a, a woman and her teenage daughter who best these murderers. And I, I just wanted to see a little bit more strong women knowing how to respond. And I understand that wasn't the point, but I, I wish the women had been more empowered in this episode one way or another. Well, yeah, because uh, Martha thought that she had to basically get down to their level and ingest the meteor as well. Like she thought like, OK, if we have to fight them, yeah. we need the power, basically. Um, so it was a woman thinking in order to best these men, I need like power from an outside source yeah. as opposed to yeah. just kind of, you know, like as once, cheesy as the uh, sound, finding it within herself. Mm -hmm. Once again, it's put on women, right? to lower themselves rather than men to raise themselves. Exactly. Know? It's always the woman. The onus is always on the woman, right? Yeah. Well, they kind of tried that too, though. See, that's the thing. It's the, even just talking about this, it all sounds very sound. Because I mean, even the concept of like, you know, like we got to get this meteor and, you know, we got to take the power itself. It's so pulpy. Ah, I just leaned into it. I don't know. Well, that's my question is how do you win in this? Because, I mean, I guess we'll get to that with the lesson, but I don't know what they were supposed to do. Yeah, I don't either. I mean... What's interesting is that they're in the beginning of the, the thing, like I mentioned before, there's the art of war is like one of the first things you see, mm -hmm. you know, that's an ancient Chinese military treatise that dates back to uh, the late spring and autumn period, which is roughly the fifth century BC. <laughs> um, it's, it's attributed to the ancient Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu, uh, Master Sun also spelled Sun Zi, and it's composed of 13 chapters and each one is devoted to an aspect of warfare and how it applies to military strategy and tactics. Mm. Now, I've sat for a few hours today trying to understand how the art of war really applies to this because I don't really and I, and I wonder if it's supposed to be the art of war between genders of, you know, the men are from, you know, the old adage like men are from Mars, women for Venus. And we're, I guess we're supposed to assume that this renewal rock could possibly be from a Martian reading a rock or some sorts mm. because given its uh, capabilities. But I did wonder if that was what was trying to be said here. Yeah, you to know, that point, um, I guess she's doing, it looks like some sort of yoga class. We get five seconds of yoga or whatever it is, or some sort of aerobic 
workout in the middle of this. And what position is she in? Warrior. Mm. Right? Oh. So, interesting. Ah. Good, good, good eye on that. <laughs> the, the one that was very, very obvious to me was um, in the bar when everything's going to hell just as they're leaving. People are climbing on each other. It totally reminded me of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. The the apes around. Yeah. The, you know, very, very, to me, very uh, not, not a subtle at all statement of, you know, what men can get up to uh, once they, you know, learn a little violence or, you know, they realize, hey, all of a sudden this beer bottle could be you know, used <laughs> for something else. Like, so it reminded me of the apes around. What was it? It's called the monolith. Oh, yeah. 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 And did anyone uh, did anyone see any uh, allusions to Weekend at Bernie's too? Because I didn't, but uh, <laughs> I, I just use a process of elimination, you know, to do this. So. Well, there was that scene where a guy with a rod in his head starts walking by, and you know, Caribbean music starts playing. Um, I thought he, I thought, and Andrew McCarthy. No, no, no. We don't want to drag him into this. No, we don't want to drag him into. No this. one should be dragged into this episode that doesn't need to be. Well, Matt, I don't know if you have any more allusions, but you I made only, a great set here <laughs> because. In in Weekend at Bernie's too, it deals with a lot of voodoo magic, and you might say that some people might be superstitious of voodoo magic, and you might say if we're talking about superstition, we might also be talking about science, uh, a science and superstition. Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomena, reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you find it in the Twilight Zone. Yay! We did it. We made it here. <laughs> Got there. Great set. And he just yeah. happened to know all that stuff about uh, Sun Tzu. Of course, <laughs> no, of, of course. course. He's very Jeopardy good at his champ. job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so impressed. In science and superstition, we like to talk about the fundamentals, the mechanics of the zone, whether this was sci-fi or fantasy, and what made us sweat. This was fantasy slash slasher horror. It couldn't make up its mind as far like usually with past episodes, it's been pretty easy aside from us arguing about what we thought the Wonderkin was to decipher whether or not what like what genre the episode falls into. I wrote a horror sci-fi mashup on my notes because it was like I didn't know which one it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eleanor, to your point, it is very fantastical. I agree. And I think the only reason I affiliated it to science fiction was because like something falling from space yeah Yeah. but it does have this kind of fantasy underlying flavor to it i guess of like the meteor makes them do weird things they're putting them in their drinks you know um so i see that too but again i just i think the writing or the writer was very unsure as to where she wanted to go with the genre here Mm -hmm. i also have a lot of problems with the the mechanics of this episode i don't think that look it's a 40 minute episode you don't really need to sit out there and write a, a fucking storybook for this like you know the marvel cinematic universe or something but at least just like maybe think it out a little bit in terms of just like what the meteor is like what is this supposed to imply i mean we know that it's a placebo at the end okay so then that even causes even more problems <laughs> yes. this when you really yeah. think about it because then it makes anything right. it's like great you have this sort of planet of the apes 2001 sort of twist at the end where you're like i guess it's interesting but also doesn't logically work so for me like the mechanics of this episode is what really kind of threw me for a world because maybe i'm just such an anal retentive asshole well, but no. i just keep thinking about it i'm like wait does this even make sense and then also on a thematical level like you know i mean i know you're supposed to say like 
we'll talk about the, the lesson and afterwards, but I don't know. I thought the mechanics of the zone is partly one of the reasons why I was frustrated with this episode. I think you really nailed it. I was feeling angry at Heather Ann Campbell. <laughs> like, why'd you let us down? <laughs> but really, your intro made a lot of sense when you said that it was supposed to be pulp i was like oh yeah she's totally forgiven yeah um as the who would say <laughs> and- <laughs> are you given <laughs> anyway wow. yeah sorry um, i tried to do a little roger daltrey but didn't work out i was but- i was good for me um, <laughs> i forgive her and now i'm a little mad at the director who made a beautiful piece but i i think it could have landed it could have happened mm-hmm. yeah it's it's like the more we talk about it i'm actually thinking that this this is actually closer to what could have been a really great episode. Because it's incredibly relevant. Yeah. With the, you know, because the title itself, Not All Men, comes from, like, a woman kind of, you know, saying, like, this happened to me or complaining about, like, a male interaction that was toxic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the neck beardy kid or guy coming in and being like, well, not all men are like that. I mean, that's where this title comes from. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and of course, as a mansplaining. Yeah. Out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the neck beardy guy would say that. It, yeah. He would. Sometimes the Chad says it, but you forgive him. Exactly. <laughs> and I like think that this could have been something so great because it's we're in a time right now where we're really trying to change. Um, or, I mean, I guess that could go both ways because look at our current political state. But we are really trying to change as a society how men and women interact with each other. And we want to be better for the most part. And men are constantly learning what, you know, they've been taught for generations to act a certain way. And they're learning, like, I'm sure men are told all the time or learning, like, hey, maybe I shouldn't walk this close to someone, you know, mm-hmm. just, and it's not that they're meaning to, but you have to think about how it makes that woman feel. Exactly. So I just, I think that this is such a relevant storyline that just bombed. I think a lot of things in this episode didn't make us sweat, right? Oh, I completely, like the, the scene alone where the motorcyclist is following yeah, them. For sure. Um, we, I mean, speaking as a woman, I have talked to many women who have all felt this way um, that they are super hyper aware of someone being too close to them or following them for an elongated amount of time. Even when I'm on the train, I am focusing on like, okay, well, this guy got off at the stop with me and he's following me this way. And I will like make sure to see when they turn to see like if they're walking away in a different direction. And it's not to say that the man was creepy or anything like that. It's just, I am scared always because you never know um so that scene was really scary to me because i have felt that before eleanor what about you what made you sweat anything in a car makes me sweat (laughs) take that any direction why because the heater's on (laughs) (laughs) because cars are hot yeah (laughs) no because every time someone gets in a car on a tv show they're not looking and you're like oh my god when's the crash gonna come and you know it's just too real yeah that scene with the motorcyclist is the one that got me the most because at that point not only do we have like a really strong bond between Annie and Martha and there's like a really great scene between them, but then there is that sort of lingering menace in the background that's played to wonderful effect. And especially like the fact that he comes back up when they open up the gate and everything. I it just, yeah, it played upon my uh, sort of anxieties for sure. Well, what about you, Matt? Also, I don't know if you said if you thought it was science or superstition, Matt. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was a nightmare. they packed in a lot of creepy things men can do and to have Mm -hmm. them in that short there's there's no time to breathe every time again one of the things that made me sweat was the idea that perry the co-worker could get stood up at the bar Mm -hmm. and he took it upon himself he said you know what i'm gonna follow them 
just so I can get out and say something to them, just so I can creep them out. The fact that he felt comfortable doing that, the fact that he felt entitled and able to do that, that was terrifying to me. And there were some other moments that clearly could be terrifying, I think, to especially people who've witnessed domestic abuse. Even at the beginning, where you could see Dylan as maybe just being, you know, a little maybe too flirty, um, but also maybe just being kind, saying, hey, I'm going to help you out. Hey, don't let them push you around. That really subtle manipulation that's in there, especially when, again, Annie says, you know, I can't say no to a boss and Dylan's her superior. So he's like, okay, I can basically work this into this information into a date, you know, and kind of guilt her into doing it or scare her into doing it. I mean, and what's so creepy about that is that he's not even infected yet. Yeah, that's him as a person. Absolutely. That's all of them as a person. Mm-hmm. Not that one guy. <laughs> oh yeah, the 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 guy that got her the job. The the, the not all man, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the title, not all man. <laughs> yeah, not all man. He's one of the not all man and the hero of this episode. <laughs> well, I guess that leads us to our lesson. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. So what do we take from this? To steal a line from one of my favorite true crime podcasts, My Favorite Murder, the lesson here for me was toxic masculinity ruins the party again. And it's like, <laughs> we, what I take away from this is that men, like they always do, a lot of times find a way. To, not all men. Not all men. Not all men. Find a way to creep you out. Um, and I think we also have to look at it as like a we're all capable of evil, even women. I mean, women do awful things too. Yeah. And I think that the metaphor here is that if we are given a chance to act on that evil that is in us at times, we'll do it. And the. Um, the meteor, since it is a placebo, it just gives them the option of being a monster, basically. And mm-hmm. most people, when given that chance, act on it. Well, it's kind of like, how long do we keep making up excuses? I guess is that that that's mm-hmm. what the, the the meteor is supposed to represent, perhaps, is, you know, well, we've the whole episode, we go, well, it's just the meteor. Well, it's just the meteor, it, which could be almost the same as like what you were saying before is like boys will be boys. Well, and even when like I remember being younger and I think a lot of you know women can attest to this when like getting picked on by a boy on the playground and the parents like my mom and the other moms would be like, oh, that means he likes you. And I remember like this, there was one kid, my like, <laughs> this is an overshare, but my pants had fallen down and he made fun of my Barbie underwear. Aww. And I was devastated. And my mom was like, no, that means he likes you. And I was like, this is not a good yeah. way. Pulls to... your hair, knocks you down in the mud. He really likes you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, that's not a good thing to teach us that no. when a, someone is rude to you or hurts your feelings, that's their way right. of telling you they like you. And I'm hoping that we're changing as a society in that respect. I feel like they kind of gave women a free pass in this one. Yeah. Because, yes, the sister does reinforce the ideas a little bit. But I work in an office with mostly women. And that's usually who I hear reinforcing toxic masculinity. So I kind of felt like they were getting at, I mean, not that they were necessarily getting at this, but I felt like they were implying that maybe a society run by women would be better which made me think about apes also, Matt, <laughs> uh, because it made me think about bonobos, which are best known for solving conflicts with sexual gratification. 
they're apes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but they have matriarchal societies. The thing is, there was an incident at Hellenbrunn Zoo in Germany during World War II where the zoo was bombed and the bonobos all died of fright. And meanwhile, the chimpanzees who we're descended from were all freaking out like, ah, violence. <laughs> so I think for me, I was trying to figure out why don't these women fight back? And if violence isn't the answer, which I don't think it is, no. what the fuck is? Yeah, well, then, then, to that question, like, or to that point, like, what do we make of Cole's relationship in the revelation that happens there? Because he's willing to fight back sort of his urges and he's also in a you know, gay relationship. Like what, what is that? What are they trying to say there? What does that say about the other man that he's with? Their relationship is supposed to say something also about this, you know, the, the metaphor here. And I'm, and that's what I've been also kind of just wrestling with as yeah, well. Yeah, it's yeah. like, is it trying to say that? Yes. Men can be victims of toxic masculinity also. Yeah. Just like they can be victims of sexual assault, but we as a society claim that no, like a man can't be subject to that. Like it's a man. Of course they want that. You know, I mean, that's the prime example, like their situation where he's obviously coming on to him and he's like, no, I don't want to do this. We definitely when we talk about like male situations like that or a man going through something like that, brush it off as of course they want to fuck. They're a dude, you know? And so I think that situation in itself shows us that No, like you can be subject to violence and be a man. You can be subject to sexual assault. You can get pushed into a situation you do not want to be in and you can be any gender. But then based on everything else that every man does in this episode, why doesn't he indulge? Because they were they were showing that all men have the capacity to be dicks, but that they choose to be also. And that unless you choose not to be, you will fall into this trap. I think it's important that he's the most effeminate man in the whole thing because it it's probably saying that gender fluidity is important because male is in many ways a social construct anyway so it doesn't have to mean the things that we've always said it means it can mean something else well and but, i love that idea for sure yeah but to it's me, something i absolutely believe in but then it just seems like this sort of sweeping generalization that all men are pretty bad then <laughs> in the sense that like which is which kind of goes against the tenets of the twilight zone because I, I don't think sweeping generalizations are something that this show has ever championed whatsoever. And for me, it was like, I, I guess I kind of, I love that argument and that theme and that lesson that you just painted, Eleanor. I just think that I wonder if it could have came across a little bit more and had some for, sort of nuance with that. I, maybe that is, maybe it is nuance, which is one of the reasons why I'm kind of sitting here, you know, chewing on it. But well, I don't know if that's exactly a lesson to kind of take away. I like, just don't know what the point of him, him being that one man was, mm-hmm. like you said. Because people are awful and toxic masculinity isn't just a male problem. It's a societal problem. Even women are capable of being toxic and pushy and uh, putting other men or other women into situations they don't want to be in. Like mm-hmm. we're all capable of pushing someone past their point. Well, I guess it's telling that the two men are uh, sitting here are, are the ones debating on it and the two women have we understand yeah. yeah i think well, hey, that's, that's telling it's... in itself yeah yeah true well i also feel a little bit guilty for continually going back to hey women be better to each other <laughs> but i do want all people to be better to women and each other <laughs> part of my problem with this episode again is if there was some sort of satirical comedic bent to it that we definitely could pick up on okay that'd be one thing but we end up with these lessons of, okay, Annie's made this journey to now. She'll say no if someone tells her to smile because she looks prettier. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's been through all this really serious stuff that after she was attacked in you know one of the earliest scenes. Then we have um, Cole, who the startling revelation is, 
hey, I just fought back. You know, it's in, it's in all of us, but we don't have to be that way. But of course, that takes an effort. What a remarkable revelation that uh, men don't have to be terrible. I mean, yeah. What did we arrive at? A lot of it's all this sort of like, duh. I just think it's easy. I, I just think it's too, I guess my, that's my problem with this. It's just, it seems so, it just seems at the end of the time, they're just kind of saying like, oh, men suck. Yeah, I mean, I which thought, is, I which is a, a given. I mean, I that's that was my a thing. complexity like, within a very obvious episode that at the end of the day doesn't say anything. That's like my you're thing. Saying, there's it's so like, many dumb moments. The exactly. conclusion, what do we get out of it really? Like we I mean, like there's and maybe maybe that's just because we need an episode that really wrestles with toxic masculinity. I just think you could have come up with something subtler. Could have come to a, a revelation that would seem a little bit more right and like revelatory. <laughs> right? At this point <laughs> you know, in the I, season, I think it's worth pointing out does a topical, you know, two thousand nineteen topical episode make for the best Twilight Zone episode? I mean, it can probably make for a good one, but I mean, I think right now we're saying what the episodes we did, we've liked the best. They have not been the topical episodes, I don't think, have they? We liked the one where they went to space last week. We like, and I'm not saying it's not topical issues in there. You know what I mean? We like the one where we're talking about a comedian, where we're talking about thirty thousand feet, where we're in a guy's mind. I'm, I'm curious about that too. I mean, how successful have we been trying to be topical? And how are they saying all the same thing? They were still talking about this in the '60s, mm-hmm. but they were doing a better job of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. <laughs> Maybe it's just because we live in a bubble and we already have these sort of ideals for ourselves. I mean, I've grown up pretty much hating. Toxic masculinity my entire life. You know, I'm pansexual. I fucking can't stand aggressive masculinity in any way, shape, or form. I don't like... I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I've I've always kind of bit my thumb at, at jocks, which is kind of bad it's for me. It's one of the reasons I love you, because I've done nothing but date toxic men. Yeah. And, 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 like who were insecure and when I told them I was bi it was an excuse to ask for a threesome you know I mean exactly it, yeah I've dealt with the jock I have dealt with the shitty dude maybe it's not just him in a bubble and I just I wanted more from that because I've just I've read you know we, we, we in the media especially it was just with with, with with op-eds and everything else that we read we read about this stuff on a day-to-day basis so mm-hmm. maybe we do need an episode like this for a general public to actually see it just it. should I mean, have been done better I, I agree yeah here's the thing In preparation for this episode, I read this article from Time Magazine in 2014 where it included this list from a webcomic artist, Matt Lipchansky, where he was talking about his journey from someone who participated in toxic masculinity to a decent human being. It's a really good list. I mean, I won't read the whole thing, but it starts with, number one, you go from a standpoint where you're like, sexism is a fake idea invented by feminists. To, you know, number three, sexism happens, but the important part is that I'm personally not sexist. And then five, sexism happens. I benefit from it. I'm unavoidably sexist sometimes because I was socialized that way. And if I want to be anti-sexist, I have to be actively working against that socialization. I think that this episode was trying to say what he was saying, which is that society is mirroring this journey. And we're only at like step three right now, which is what this episode was speaking to. And we're trying to push our way forward to step five. And I think you could probably do the same exercise with, say, the replay, but with like white privilege or being black in America. I mean, I think you could go from I don't think there's such a thing as white privilege to, you know, follow along that same path. I think that's one of the things these topical episodes are doing that's positive. I think they're allow opening that up. But again, is it making for the best Twilight Zone episode? I think that's what we keep coming back to. Well, who won? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.
That sounded so defeated. I don't think anyone did. Well, I, I, I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think this is another situation where we're just kind of like, well, society sucks, and we're... well, there was no resolution. This is what we. It was essentially the end of the episode. Just felt like well, this is what we have, and this is what we've been handed. I mean, and maybe this is there what we're is dealing no with. cure. It didn't land exactly. But, uh... Like and that's what it left us with is that. The men didn't win. The women obviously didn't win. The viewers didn't win. That's for sure. <laughs> uh. But but the problem with this episode is, I think, Annie does win. I think it makes total light of her journey mm-hmm. and all she's been through. But she wins. She stands up when she wouldn't have before. Yeah. Um, it's a very small victory. I think it's too small a victory, but it is a victory. The fact that Cole showed that a man doesn't have to be a complete, you know, um, piece of shit. Um, he showed that could be done, and that was mm-hmm. a victory for Cole. So, and perhaps a victory for masculinity because he's an example. So, yeah, I mean these these are like such tiny, tiny hollow victories. Again, like Michael said, these are dumb moments. I can't believe this is what we went that whole forty minutes for to learn or to get to to arrive at, which almost makes me want to say again. Like Eleanor said, did we miss a joke? Was this meant to be a different tone? Was this because that's really what you're going to like seriously arrive us at? Well, there's winners, but how much do they win? They win a penny. (laughs) 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 And specifically a penny for your thoughts. It doesn't matter, Mr. Poole. A man with your ability. Hearing people's thoughts. Strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. Eleanor, what are you doing in this situation? Well, generally, I already have plans to watch the Perseids, so I'm not going to be available. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, um, and this this was the root of my problem with this episode, I probably would have fucked the guy and then probably gotten killed in some aggressive sex thing he thinks is cool that I'm not relating to in the moment. <laughs> and then I turn up as a victim on Law & Order without anyone to advocate for me, and it would be determined that I was a slutty weirdo engaging in some kinky but consensual thing, and therefore, according to TV rules, I would deserve to die. <laughs> and that's the world we live in. Yes, the you-were-asking-for-it world. But what I was wanting from this episode, though, was... A blueprint. I was wanting them to tell me what I'm supposed to do in this situation to not get killed or get in a situation where I have to start looking for another job. Yeah, and I, and I guess it gets, it thinks it gets there at the end when she says no and she kind of just walks away and there's this sort of revelation for her. What does the rest of society do? What do, what do we do? Like, I, I thought about this today and I was like, I guess I, like, if violence wasn't the answer, because obviously they didn't really fight back in a, you know, in a violent way, I guess hiding, you know, content driving away, um, starting your own Wonder Woman like society on an island away from all men, I think was like kind of women's only option if there is no cure, like if men are just if they're going to keep being violent um, and the meteorites are going to keep affecting them in this way, I think as women, our only option is to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, and I think that's my biggest issue is that like, there is no there is no sort of even like hint at a solution. It's just this sort of nihilistic, like is. men suck, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Which is actually, that's probably the point. Yeah. That's probably the lesson because realistically, it's easy for me to say they should have fought back. But realistically, there are so many points in my life where I wish I'd spoken out more or yeah. fought mm-hmm. back unfortunately it is very realistic and and i'm not i'm not doubting that for sure i just think that narratively that's not that interesting and i i I think that i guess you could argue that 
you know, Annie at the end, her standing up to the, um, you know, the cliche army guy is a victory in itself because she's not going to stand for it anymore. And that's the sense. But when you're looking at the overall context of the episode, it just seems so like nominal. What are, what are the stakes there? Well, I mean, what, what power does that man have over her? Right. I mean, she could say, she could just, you know, you know what I mean? Tomorrow she has to go to work. And if her boss says again, Hey, maybe you should smile a little bit more. You know, is she going to say no to him? She probably or will. She, yeah. You know, or she, I don't know. I don't know that she's good. I mean, she's, is she any better off than where she started? I don't know. It's such a, like you said, such a nominal, you know, ending. The thing that's not realistic is that those things are said to you on a regular basis, but not quite in the same way. So you always have to take a minute to interpret it. And they just said everything in the most cliche way, which was intentional, but. I still, I wasn't comfortable with it. That's why my go-to thing, and I learned this when I started at Starbucks at 16, my manager said, because I had a customer say like inappropriate things to me. And I told her, I was like, I'm in a customer service role. Like, I don't know how to properly react. And men typically will take advantage of that because they know you're getting paid your work. Um, And my manager said, when you, you go what'd you just say? Or like ask them to repeat it. And like nine times out of 10, they mm-hmm. won't repeat yeah. it because mm-hmm. they, it gives them a second to be like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And mm-hmm. so that's, I mean, it's been almost 10 years of me working in customer service. And every time I've been said something that like made me uncomfortable, my go-to response is what? Yeah. But again, that's asking again, the female, right. To come up with like a strategy or a trick other than just saying, you shouldn't talk to me that way. Oh, you know, I completely agree. So, again, we just keep if asking. If we lived in a perfect world. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just we just keep asking women to deal with it and come up with all these different mm-hmm. strategies instead of asking a man, hey, be decent when you like order a cup of coffee. Well, now you're exactly. mansplaining her. So <laughs> let's just calm down. I don't think um, I was. I was a no. no, I was well, I'm just joking. We're all joking. Come on. I'm having fun. Personally, in this episode, I think I would start collecting rocks. <laughs> I just think like if you if it, if it ended up being a placebo, so I would just go and start collecting the rocks. <laughs> they seem pretty cool. I mean, and draw little faces on them. I draw little faces yeah. on them, like, like I'm doing to right Matt's now. Avail the pet rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And maybe like get like a little chia pet if it grew some like sort of fungus and all. Let's go to our overall thoughts. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. My doors, I'm going to go two doors. Um, And that's the lowest rating I've given thus far. And I would have given it a one, honestly, if it weren't for those moments that really did hit close to home for me as a woman, because I have felt that fear before. I have been in situations where I felt uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do. And I I was not like the scene when Annie is, even though he's exhibiting, Dylan is exhibiting really aggressive, scary behavior. She's still very kind to him Mm -hmm. because that flight or fight syndrome comes up of survival mode of yeah. I have to be nice to this person to derail and keep myself safe. And that's really scary to me because I've been in situations like that where I just said yes or just, you know, you kind of just go with the punches to make sure that you're still safe after. That's what's given me the two here uh, because I think that that will probably hit home for a lot of women when they watch this episode. I think the the acting wasn't bad, it, but it wasn't great. 
and that should say something here is that unless yeah. I'm getting wowed, I, I'm not like it was it was just kind of fell somewhere in the middle. Yeah. As far as, you know, storyline, it was incredibly rushed. I don't feel like I got any resolution there. And Jordan Peele's like um, monologues are typically my favorite parts of the episode. And I didn't really enjoy his monologues this episode. There was one really drawn out in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, the too. first one was really drawn out. And like and introducing said, a sister's party when we had you <laughs> we hadn't met the even sister gotten there yet. And so it was just, I don't know. I, I Nothing really <laughs> here was like, oh, wow, that was good. And and so that's what warrants my lowest door of the season with two doors. Hmm. Even Jordan Peele was like, I don't know. There's a birthday. I don't know. Just, just do it. <laughs> Which you were at for five minutes. Yeah. You know, was it, this really about a birthday? No. Party? <laughs> it really wasn't. I'd go with two doors. Put me right off men. <laughs> and I, I don't mind telling you, Michael, men can be beasts, you know? And they're not fantastic beasts uh, like uh, Harry <laughs> not the, Potter. Not the good kind of beasts. No, the bad kind. Yeah. Yeah, so. No, no. Really, two doors. I mean, last week, I think we found out they could do a great episode again. They've done a couple of what I consider really good to great episodes in this series. I'm still waiting to see if they can do something really phenomenal with the topical episode. Mm-hmm. And why I'm giving it two instead of like one is just because I think the value in here is a lot of men being able to watch and say, oh my God, that is pretty creepy. I think the tone's all over the place, but you at least sort of get a checklist of all these terrible things uh, that men can do. And I, I mean, I do hope that maybe some people watch, just myself included, think, what are some of the things I've done sometimes? Um, like Sammy says, like, even if you're not intentionally doing something, think of how maybe keeping a certain distance makes someone else feel or, you know, a behavior. I think there's some value in that. But as far as a television episode, as far as enjoying something, I was excited when there was going to be meteors hitting a small town. I haven't watched as much pulp. I haven't watched as much horror as you guys have. Um, I thought that was going to be exciting, and it turned out to be that was the least exciting thing they could possibly do with meteors hitting a town. So two doors, and I would love, since I think we've gotten a couple really great um, episodes that kind of um, did some non-topical things, I would love if before we hit the final episode, Jordan Peele could put together a topical episode that makes us all say, damn, that was a really good hour you know, of television. Yeah, I echo a lot of your thoughts, Matt. I, I, I think that uh, I'm going with one and a half. Um, I thought that this episode lacked any subtlety, and I thought it kind of tripled down on the whole hand-fisted metaphor. And as I mentioned before, while it was also leaning on like pretty much every horror trope out there, I thought it was kind of clumsily handled uh, in terms of narrative. It moved a little erratic. As Sammy pointed out, I think it needed a little bit more time. This is one of the few episodes that we would argue for more time, for sure. I, I just thought that there was just the lack of uh, context for a lot of uh, the situations that were going on. I thought the characters were really flat and I just felt as if the end was again, it's in, in this could be just because we live in a bubble at this point. And I, and I agree with you. I think it does show that sort of point of view in a way that I think there's value to it, which is why I'm kind of giving it that sort of one and a half and adores in, in the sense that we've also had a great discussion from it. And I thought that I thought I actually learned more from having this discussion, kind of like what we had with replay than having that than what I would got at the episode. And um and that's a problem for me. It's and I think that it's kind of staggering that there seems to be this sort of um disconnect with narrative tension and stuff like that sometimes, especially for the Twilight Zone, especially from a writer that just fucking knocked it out of the park last week. So I I, I don't know, it's just 
it's a little uh it's a little bizarre to me but uh yeah one and a half doors I agree with you, Mike. The best part of that episode was the discussion that came out of it. (laughs) (laughs) It could have gotten more doors from me if it had had either more subtlety or more comedy. And overall, it needed a lot more imagination. Yeah. Because like you said, Matt, I mean, meteors, come on. They're more dangerous as projectiles than man devolvers. So, you know, (laughs) be more imaginative. So for me, it was also one and a half doors, which is what brings us to a total of 1.75 doors for the team. Ah, <laughs> it's our lowest of the of the season so far. Deservedly so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also, I have a question. This is a side note, Mike. Yeah. But I have a question. You dislike jocks, but... I hate them. Don't you have a Friday Night Lights tattoo? I do. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That show is all about heart, which is what is the deceptive notion of that show. You know, I went into that show thinking that it was just going to be all about football, which is a sport I can't stand. It's about men in tight pants playing a sport. No, you just shame the show, but it's actually one of the... It's, it's the, one of the most beautifully it's written one of shows beautiful, I've ever okay. exactly. I watch for the guys in tight pants playing a game. Okay. I hope the next Twilight Zone episode awakens us all to the heart of jocks. I'll tell you this. That show is just the most nuanced show um, that's, that's ever hit network television. I think one of them, um, because it really does play and it is a total subversion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did, I had no interest in that game and no interest in that whole, that whole world. I mean, I went to a, a school that was just like that. I mean, I went to a Catholic high school that valued football more than anything. And I was a swimmer and they never, we had to pay for everything and the football team just got everything. And then there was a resentment there for that. And I hated the whole culture that was around it. And yet looking at the show is like, well, maybe I was the wrong person that's in there because I'm like, fuck, I just totally assumed everything of these people. But like watching the show, it just I don't know, it was really there's a lot of heart and there's a lot of it's value. Opening. Yeah. yeah, It cleared your eyes. It, it did cleared clear my his eyes. eyes. Yes. Yeah. And gave us a lot of full hearts. Well, speaking of full hearts, I'd like to have full ratings as in some ratings for the show. <laughs> so, you know, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating, please. Just give us give us a really good rating, you know? <laughs> Tell your friends about it. Let's get them all in the zone. We'll have some fun. Return next week when we're going to follow Jennifer Goodwin to her point of origin. I'm very excited because I love Jennifer Goodwin. I do too. Very excited. But uh, until next time, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.